Welcome to Windsor Christian Fellowship Church Podcast. Our church vision is to win generations to Christ, connect them to His master plan, empower them to succeed, and grow the kingdom of God. For other podcast resources or more information about Windsor Christian Fellowship, please visit us at www.wcf.ca. so glad all of you have joined us today. I hope that you're excited that next week we're going to be gathering together in person again on February 28th. Uh, it's good to have you all with us today. So the first thing I'd like to do is receive our tithes and offerings. Today I want to go to Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to read verses 6 to 12. And it says that I am the Lord, I do not change. That is why your descendants of Jacob are not already destroyed. Ever since the days of your ancestors, you have scorned my decrees and failed to obey them. Now return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of heaven's armies. But you ask, how can we return when we've not, never gone away? Should people cheat God? Yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You've cheated me of tithes and offerings due me and you're under a curse for your whole nation's been cheating me. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse so there'll be enough food in my temple. If you do, says the Lord of heaven's army. I will open the windows of heaven for you. I will pour out a blessing so great you won't have enough room to take it in. Put me to the test. Your crops will be abundant for I will guard them from insects and disease. Your grapes will not fall from the vine before they're ripe, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Then all the nations will call you blessed for your land will be such a delight, says the Lord of heaven's armies. You know, there's some promises there when we follow God's commands, the God who doesn't change, uh, in this arena of tithes and offerings. One of them, he says he's gonna, our crops will be abundant. He says that the grapes won't fall from the vine before they're ripe. You know, he's gonna pour out a blessing so great we won't have room to take it in. I thank you all for your faithfulness in this arena. And I'll encourage all of you, if some of you are maybe newer to watching us and you haven't got into tithes and offerings yet, God says to put them to the test and see what he'll do in your life, in your finances, if you give in faith and with joy. So Father, I thank you for the seed in our hand as we plant it in the ground today. Lord, that it's going to produce much fruit, that lives are going to be changed and transformed and hearts are going to be touched, that people are going to be brought into your kingdom as a result of our giving this day. Father, I thank you that you rebuked the devourer from our lives and you put up a hedge on every side. In Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to give you all a brief update. You know, we're finishing this construction in the sanctuary. Uh, this weekend, our IT group was working on a network upgrade uh, and a few other things. So we did have a few minor delays due to sourcing equipment right now. Um, but Wednesday night, we're going to be here in the youth center for a night of worship. And we'll look forward to seeing all of you here if you want to come and worship with us. Uh, and then next Sunday, we'll be back in the sanctuary. Which leads me to Matthew chapter 6. It starts with giving to the needy. And then it moves on to when you pray. So first it's when you give to the needy, then it's when you pray, and then every modern Christian in 2021 wants to hear the next statement that Jesus makes, but he says, when you fast, and I'll read it, Matthew 6, 16 to 19, and when you fast, 
Don't make it obvious as the hypocrites do, for they try to look miserable and disheveled so people will admire them for their fasting. I tell you the truth. That is the only reward they will ever get. But when you fast, comb your hair, wash your face, then no one will notice that you're fasting except your father who knows what you do in private and your father who sees everything will reward you. I have a quote from a man named Dwight L. Moody as we're talking about this. He says, if you say, I will fast when God lays it on my heart, you never will. You're too cold and indifferent to take that yoke upon you. Some of you might ask who Dwight L. Moody is. Well, Dwight Moody was actually one of the the men that Billy Graham looked up to, and here's the path from Moody to Graham. Sunday school teacher Edward Kimball helped lead Dwight Moody to Christ. J. Wilbur Chapman was converted at Dwight L. Moody's evangelistic meeting. Billy Sunday was converted at a Chapman meeting. Mordecai Ham was converted at a Billy Sunday meeting. And Billy Graham gave his life to Christ at a Ham meeting. See, Dwight L. Moody was a man who understood human nature. And the truth is, left to our own devices, without the word of God challenging us and encouraging us, sometimes we do the path of least resistance. But fasting will help you develop some self-regulation, some self-control, and some self-discipline. These are very consistent with the character of Christ. It helps us to hear God's voice. Fasting can break the grip of hell off of our lives. So I would like to call all of us here at WCF to fast for 40 days, from February 22nd to April 2nd. Exactly 40 days, uh, to quote my friend from the radio. WCF is believing that through this time together of fasting that God is going to lift the curse from our land for healing and deliverance and for release from sickness and disease, for total mind, body, and spirit health, because many people are being challenged in their health, their mental health and well-being, as well as their physical health and well-being. And we want the glory of the Lord to be revealed to our church. I'm requesting 100% participation. That means all of you can fast something and I'll get to some of the different ways that we can participate. But we need to understand that God's people are being challenged on many levels across Canada. It's becoming increasingly more hostile to gather together as a body of believers. The media is shoving it down our throats every single day that it's not safe to congregate. Don't gather. You need to be very afraid. You're all gonna die. The truth is, Here's some facts. Violent crime went up in Windsor last year. Suicide rates increased last year. Overdoses increased last year. Domestic violence increased last year, including head injuries for infants. Mental health in our culture is declining rapidly. Opinions are trumping truth with terrifying consequences. People with an opinion different than yours are being demonized and vilified. Even people in churches, members of the body of Christ, they fear COVID more than they fear God. Maybe that's some of you. As I was meditating on this, Matthew 10, 28 came to mind. I'll read it in the New Living and then I'm gonna read it again in the message paraphrase. It says, don't be afraid of those who wanna kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. And in the message paraphrase, don't be bluffed into silence by the threats of bullies. There's nothing they can do to your soul, your core being, save your fear for God who holds your entire life, body and soul in his hands. A couple weeks ago, I mentioned the sudden change in posture towards Christianity in Russia. 
Are we so comfortable here in Canada? Are we holding the hands over our eyes so we can't even see the truth of the change of posture here in Canada as well? Now is the time for the church to fast and pray. I don't know how to communicate this more urgently to the body of Christ. We must fast and pray now. Now is the time we need to fast and pray. It's the time for the armchair Christians, the armchair warriors that like to sit in the back and tell everyone else how to do it. They need to pick up their swords and start aiming them at Satan. It's time for the apathetic to arise. It's time for us to unite in purpose. It's time for us to take our place and let his light shine forth through us. Together, we can change the world around us. There's many different ways for us to fast. If you're, if you're new at this, about a year ago, I did a teaching, it's on YouTube, it's called Preparing to Fast. I encourage you, it might be beneficial for you to go check that out in more detail. But I'll just go over a couple things now. First thing is the absolute fast, which is where you drink water only. Um, I highly recommend if you've never done this before, start with maybe a three-day window. Uh, and, and you know you can do different liquid fasts as well. Um, depending on how long you're going to go, it's not always wise uh, to go with juices with a lot of sugar in them. There's intermittent fasting where you only eat between one window. Uh, for instance, some people will only eat between 12 noon and 6 p.m. and they won't eat the other 18 hours. There's the Daniel fast where people eat no sweet or pleasant flu foods. That means some people eat vegetables only or no meat or no desserts. Um, there's a media fast where people withdraw from television, internet, or social media apps. And, and I'll encourage you, um, you may want to reduce your time on some of these things anyways and, and pray a little bit more. And then there's the therapeutic fast where you fast one complete day a week, uh, water only. Uh, you know, one of the uh, years in my life that I felt the healthiest was when I fasted from Sunday night at 8 p.m. till Tuesday morning at 8 a.m. I did about 36 hours where I only had water. I did that for a year, and after the year, I felt pretty good because there's some natural benefits as well as the spiritual benefits. But I want to encourage all of you, let's fast together. We'll start tomorrow. Ask the Holy Spirit how you are supposed to participate in this. But I believe that 100% of us, if we seek God's face, if we start putting aside our flesh and start listening to his voice, things will start shifting in the heavens. Now, from there, I would like to go to uh, Creed. We're going to do a new series on the Apostles' Creed over the next few weeks. It ties in really nicely with what we're going to do uh, for Easter coming up, and, and please remember, we will be gathering again next week. I'm looking forward to this. But we're going to start with um, a creed, which is a concise statement of faith developed by our early church fathers. Um, I'm going to read the one that we're going to go through right now. It's called the Apostles' Creed, and I know that there's a couple variations of it, but the one that I'm going to teach from over the next, uh, I don't know, eight or nine weeks with some friends, um, I believe in God the Father, Almighty Creator, of heaven and earth. And that's the statement that I'm really gonna work on today as I do the introduction. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary, he suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and seated at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body and in life 
everlasting. You know, this was written many years ago by our early church forefathers. And it's a statement, a concise statement of faith and doctrine. And I think it's really important that we know why we believe what we believe and what do we even believe. So this statement that I made, I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, that there's so much of a foundation in our faith based on just these statements for what we believe. And there's many theological statements. I wanna give you some scriptures that this kind of points to right now. I'm not gonna give you all the scriptures, but I'm gonna give you a sampling of scriptures or some of the scriptures that apply to this one statement. In Isaiah chapter 45, verses five to 13. I am the Lord, there's no other God. I've equipped you for battle, though you don't even know me. So all the world from east to west will know that there's no other God. I am the Lord and there is no other. I create the light and make the darkness. I send good times and bad times. I, the Lord, am the one who does these things. Open up, O heavens, and pour out your righteousness. Let the earth open wide so salvation and righteousness can sprout up together. I, the Lord, created them. What sorrow awaits those who argue with their creator? Does a clay pot argue with its maker? Does the clay dispute with the one who shapes it, saying, stop, you're doing it wrong? Does the pot exclaim, how clumsy can you be? How terrible it would be if a newborn baby says to its father, why was I born? Or if it said to its mother, why did you make me this way? This is what the Lord says. The Holy One of Israel, the creator, your creator. Do you question what I do for my children? Do you give me orders about the work of my hands? I am the one who made the earth and created people to live on it. With my hands, I stretched out the heavens and the stars are at my command. I will raise up Cyrus to fulfill my righteous purpose and I will guide his actions. He will restore my city and set free and free my captive people without seeking a reward. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. That's in Isaiah. That's God talking about, hey, I'm God. Don't forget it. In John chapter one, verses one to five, in the beginning was the word, the word already existed. The word was with God and the word was God. He existed in the beginning and God created everything through him and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. In Acts chapter 14, verse 15, amplified translation, men, why are you doing these things? We too are only men of the same nature as you bringing the good news to you so that you turn from these useless and meaningless things to the living God who made the heaven and earth and the sea and everything that's in them. The first thing I wanted to talk about is God is. You know, many believe in him, but they don't realize their great need for him. God created us. We're a little bit ahead of myself, but that's okay. Even the devil and the demons believe in God, but they're terrified. They admit that God exists, but they're terrified. Why? Because they know that they're awaiting judgment one day. Without God, nothing would exist. You would not exist, period. He holds all things together by his word. And then it kind of goes on to the Father, which talks about the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And, and the truth is God is relational in his essence, or in his essence is love. So there's a love between the Father, Son, and Spirit. There's a relationship between the three unique personalities that are, make up one deity, one God. And Jesus referred to the Father multiple times in his public ministry. In fact, they even wanted to stone him because he referred to his relationship with the Father that they were one. Because he put himself on God's level because he was God. 
He also referred to the Comforter or the Holy Spirit. Now, when we get to the Almighty, you know, I find it interesting that in the Creed, that was the one adjective that they used, you know, the Almighty God. But a man named Michael Byrd in his book um, about the Creed, he said his power, or God's power, is not limited by anything beyond his own character and being. God always works to bring about what he intends to do and not a single molecule in the universe can thwart him or frustrate his purposes. You know, sometimes you feel like you've lost control. Sometimes there's things happening in your life that are outside of your control. Sometimes you feel like you're powerless, like your voice doesn't matter, like your vote doesn't count, like nobody is listening to you and that you're walking through life alone. The truth is, We have to look to a God who is powerful. He is not powerless. Our God is more than able to see us through. And we have to anchor our faith on him, the one who is almighty, the one who is powerful, the one who no one can thwart his purposes, no one can frustrate his plans. We have to anchor our faith in that. But isn't that part of the point of Christianity where, you know, in our weakness, he shows himself strong? I think the idea is we can't do it on our own. We can't do it alone. We do it with God. He chooses to partner with us. He doesn't need us, but we certainly need him. But when God partners with humans, he accomplishes his work in the earth. He accomplishes purposes in the earth through humans. That seems to be his preferred method of accomplishing his work in the earth is through humans. So he partners with mankind and he, be, he allows us to be a blessing to others. Isn't that exactly how God works? I love that. It's an interesting arrangement, I'm not gonna lie. But the truth is God has chosen to partner with humans in his almighty, he's almighty, in his greatness. He chooses to partner with us and accomplish his purposes here on earth. The next thing I wanted to go to is the creator God. I really, you know, when I look at creation, and we could do weeks and weeks on creation, there's lots of information here, so I'm just gonna touch on this briefly. I like the perspective of the Creation Museum because what they present to people is, it's the same evidence, just a different starting point. So secular humanism starts with there is no God and they look at the evidence and they have to draw conclusions. Whereas we look at the evidence and we draw a different conclusion because we know that there's a creator God who spoke the universe into existence. Nothing in science disproves creation by our creator. Did everyone hear me say that? There's nothing in science that disproves it. In fact, if anything, the evidence is in our favor. Evolution fell apart years ago with the advances in microbiology combined with with the lack of the fossil record, okay? It's, It's a dead theory. It's no longer viable. It's been denounced by many because it no longer holds any merit as far as the scholarship is concerned, yet they still spew it, a debunked theory, in some of our educational institutions. They're grasping at straws. You know, I remember, if you look back to to World War II, there was a man named Joseph Goebbels, and he said something like this, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. The lie can be maintained only for such time as the state can shield the people from the political, economic, or military consequences of the lie. He goes on and talks about how important it is for the state to use its powers to repress dissent 
for the truth is the mortal enemy of the lie. And thus, by extension, the truth is the greatest enemy of the state. You know, when it comes to creator God, the truth is really gonna be the only thing that exposes the lie. But if they tell the lie enough, people will eventually believe it is true. Many of you believe that we evolved from apes. Some of you of Christians still have challenges in your mind because it was so ingrained in you when you were coming up through the educational system and they programmed your mind to believe lies. The truth is God spoke the universe into existence. Everything is held together by his word. He created you, he created me, he created everything that you see and everything that you don't see. The visible and the invisible, the seen and the unseen. We are not just a body, we are a spirit, and the spirit world is way more real than this temporary earth suit that we wear in this earth that's gonna be dissolved by fire one day. You see, there's a song uh, by a guy named Matthew West, and he was talking about, you know, hey God, when I look around and I see the suffering and I see the pain, and he's, he's shaking his fist, God, why don't you do something, you know? And I'll read the lyric from Matthew West. He says, he said I did. I created you. If not us, then who? If not me and you. Right now, it's time for us to do something. If not now, then when? Will we see an end to all this pain? It's not enough to do nothing. It's time for us to do something. It's up to you and it's up to me. I'm leaving the song now. Us together, we can take the message of hope to the lost and the dying, to the broken and the discouraged, to the doubters and the fools. You were made in the image of God. You were created with a purpose. You were created with a design. You've been given a mission. Which leads me to the next phase of this heaven. You know, God made heaven and God made earth. And heaven is where he lives. That's our future home. We all want to go to heaven. It was an old song, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. <laughs> but the truth is, heaven is our eternal home. That's where we're gonna spend forever as Christians. And, and what happens is this earth, which is temporary, you know, it was created in six days by an almighty God, by an all-powerful God. And, and people forget the earth is God's. He made it. He created it. He has creation rights. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We are humans made in his image. We were made to bring glory and to lift up the name of Jesus. But how many humans, they don't want to be image bearers. They don't want to be who God has made them to be. They want to be what they want to be. And they get into pride, and they get into disobedience to God's word. Not healthy. Not a good response. And, and there was a guy named Dr. Duncan. I think his first initial is L. And you know, in his writings, he talked about to believe, especially in a culture that likes opinions like ours today, right? But doesn't like truth, that likes values but not morality, that likes perspectives but not the truth. And he capitalizes the truth there being Jesus, the, the way, the truth in the life. Because the truth is, you can't have morality without Jesus. I don't even know where I was the other day, but someone was asking me about, you know, um, wh where's it all headed? What, what, what happens, you know? And I said, well, we fell off the rails when we got rid of the moral lawgiver. When we took God out of our culture, we took him out of our schools, we took him out of our lives, we took him out of our government, you know? We got rid of the moral lawgiver. What did we think was gonna happen? What did we think was gonna happen when that happened? And you know, I started with, I believe, 
Because the creeds are basically a concise statement of faith that talks about what we believe. And if we believe in God the Father, Almighty, the creator of heaven and earth, you know, Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 starts with this amazing statement. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it's by believing in your heart that you're made right with God, and it's by openly declaring your faith that you're saved. There's many people that want to know God, they believe in God, but they haven't acknowledged that Jesus came to earth and died and God raised him from the dead. They haven't acknowledged that they were a sinner and they needed someone to save them from their sin. And what happens is it's through repentance and confession. That's where our belief becomes real when you repent. See, it's one thing to say, God, I'm sorry I messed up, but it's another thing to say, you know, God, I need to turn around, I need to stop my sinful behavior, and I need to start taking on your nature and your character. And connected to this in Romans 10, 9, and 10, where we start with, I believe in God, and we acknowledge that Jesus is our Lord. We acknowledge that he died and rose from us, or for us, for our sin. That's our belief system. This is how we come into the kingdom of God. But he says after that, he talks about being baptized in water, where we submit ourselves to the waters of baptism, signifying that our old life is washed away and our new life has come. And next week, we'll be baptizing in, purpose again, in person again. So if all of you could sign up for baptism ahead of time, that would help us to know how many people to put on the teams to make sure that we can get you baptized in a timely manner. <laughs> um, anyway, we will look forward to seeing you all here next week. And from there... I would like to go into the Lord's Supper now. I know some of you have come in and picked up communion elements, but um, next week we'll start partaking together again. And I believe, you know, communion is actually a really important part of our, our time of gathering together. Because the night he was betrayed, God said, do this in remembrance of me. Isn't that what Jesus said? And he took the bread and he broke it, which signified his body, which was going to be broken. You know, and for me, I'm forever grateful to Christ that he was willing to let his body be broken so that my body could be made whole. I don't know about you. He took the sin of humanity. He took the pain, the scorn, the humiliation, the rejection, all on himself. He paid the debt that we couldn't when he went to the cross. So Father, today we declare that we believe in you. We believe that you created the heavens and the earth. We believe that you are almighty and no one can stand in the way of your purposes here on earth. So Lord, in our belief in you, we surrender to you our will. The things that we want, Lord, we lay them down at the foot of the cross today. And we thank you that we can reflect your glory as an image bearer that you made us to be in the name of Jesus. And when he took the cup, the blood of the new covenant, you know, his blood was shed for you and for me. And God is calling everyone to repent of their sin and give their life to him. And some of us, you know, we get off course sometimes. We don't do and say the things that God has called us to do. It's one step back to him through repentance. Receive the blood of Christ and his sacrifice and get out of the guilt and condemnation. Stop walking around in shame. Let's take up our cross. Let's walk as forgiven warriors. 
You know, none of us are per perfect, none of us have arrived, but you know what? The blood of Jesus makes a, a way in our imperfection for us to still have fellowship with God. So Father, today I thank you for the blood of Jesus that was poured out for me and for my friends that are listening today. Lord, as we look to the cross, we thank you that there is freedom from the oppression of the enemy, there's freedom from sin, and that you've liberated us, mind and body, Lord, and spirit, and that the gates of hell will not stand against the church, the people, the body of Christ. Today, Lord, we receive hope, we receive faith, we receive healing. And Lord, I thank you that each person, as they commit their way to you, their thoughts will be established today in the name of Jesus. In Psalms 115, I'm going to pray verses 14 and 15 over you. May the Lord richly bless both you and your children, and may you be blessed by the Lord who made heaven and earth. Lord, as they go about this week, I thank you that in their mind constantly they'll remember that they're an image bearer made in your image and likeness, and that everything we can do will point glory and honor to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Lord, I thank you that their lives are complete in you and that you're working out within us good things, the good plan that you have for us. So we lay ourselves at your feet today, Father, and we trust and anchor our lives to the greatness of our God today. And in our weakness, Lord, show yourself strong. Amen. Have a great week, everyone. We'll look forward to seeing some of you on Wednesday night. And next week on February 28th, we'll be back in person gathering together. Thank you for joining us all on the fast, and we'll see you next time. God bless you.